You're listening to Emergent, backed by Crestbridge. We aim to provide a community and platform to support, inform and connect the next generation of fund managers. Hi, I'm Nicola Nicholson, Group Head of Marketing at Crestbridge and one of the programme founders at Emergent. Today, I'm at 180 Studios on the Strand in London. We're just about to welcome guests for our fourth Emergent event, and I have the pleasure of being joined on the podcast by Kitty Horlick, who's our guest speaker tonight. Kitty is founder of Blackwood, a consultancy firm focused on onboarding traditional businesses into Web3 and its associated technologies, including blockchain, NFTs, the metaverse, and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, I managed to get a sneak preview into her keynote as we discussed demystifying AI for managers. With unlimited resources and data, what would Kitty personally build with AI? Be sure to listen to the end of the episode to find out. Thank you, Kitty, for joining us today. Maybe you can uh, maybe we can start today's conversation with a little bit around how you got started. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So. I think I first got seriously exposed to AI through my work in blockchain. So for context, um, the majority of what I do is Web3 based and um, very early in the kind of early days of generative AI art, um, one of the places where there was the most exposure to it was within NFTs. So people were making NFTs of the art that they created using these generators like Midjourney. Um, and they were really, really popular and there was a huge craze and they were selling for huge amounts of money. And um, that was what really kick-started, um, I think, my really keen interest in it. Mm. And um, then when um, ChatGBT opened to the public and we started to really see some of the problems and the challenges that were going to stem from this new, very powerful type of AI... I became really interested in how blockchain could provide solutions to some of those risks. And um, that's largely um, where I'm starting to focus some of my resources. So kind of the, you know, how AI can help and, and solve problems, et cetera, rather than rather that, you know, the, the sales kind of aspect to it, which is what we saw in that first kind of part of AI. Yeah, well, so I think like the big change that we've seen is um, previously AI was mostly being used to analyze data and detect patterns, but it wasn't capable of creating things that were particularly sensical or beautiful. And with the advent of generative AI, which includes things like chat GPT, so large language models, but also image generators, you're seeing AI actually start to um, create. Mm. And um that is very exciting in a lot of ways but um it's also super um risky because we're now kind of facing a potentially like post-truth situation where it's difficult to tell if content content's been generated by an ai or if it's been generated by a human and this means that you can um very convincingly create false information using ai so you might have seen that on Monday, a fake image of the Pentagon um, going up in flames caused the S&P to drop by 0.3%. And it was AI generated and it was shared by a bunch of media sources. Um, I think unsurprisingly, the first one was a Russian media source. Um, and um, also a lot of the stuff that um, language models put out is um, inaccurate. 
but it's very compellingly written and it feels real and it can be really, really hard to spot the false information. So um, where I'm interested in harnessing blockchain um, is as a kind of source of truth um, and um, a system for securely storing data and that that might um, be able to kind of counteract some of the risks in AI. <laughs> no, that's, it's, that's amazing. And I think, you know, that's one of the, the key things that when people are talking about AI at the moment is probably that more, that fearful kind of, how can we tell the difference? So in terms of that, you know, how do you, how do you think, you know, going forward, AI can be, you know, more responsible? Do you think there should be code of ethics? You know, well, if, if you were like looking at this, how, how would you possibly say, okay, well, how, how can we start managing this so people are not so fearful and actually see the benefits of AI and the excitement that it can bring? Mm. So I think um, to begin with, you have to ensure that the data sources are super transparent because a model is only as good as the data that goes into it. And if you're trying to track things like bias, a lot of that will be contained in the data. So I think kind of radical transparency is really important. Um, but one of the things that's tricky about AI, um, or particularly generative AI, is that we don't really have a full understanding of how it operates. So it's very hard to explain why it's producing particular outputs. And that may improve or evolve over time, but we're kind of in a period of uncertainty where we're trying to actually figure out how it is that you increase understanding even when you have total transparency and one of the things that's so interesting about the release of ChatGPT is that the founder of OpenAI Sam Altman he decided to release it to um, the general public before they really understood how it worked mm -hmm. because he felt that to wait until the model was kind of fully developed and then to unleash it on the world would be too overwhelming and he wanted this kind of collaborative, almost like experimental window where the public could feedback their experiences and the companies around it could figure out how you improve it and how you understand it better and how you fine tune it. So we're almost in like a kind of, um, I don't want to say it's, I don't think of the right word. It's not quite deliberate, but we're in this kind of period of amplified unknowing um, that to some extent was there is yeah. there by design and I think discovering how we improve transparency and improve understanding is going to be really exciting but I don't quite know how it's going to be done yet <laughs> no and I think that's it isn't it you know the the it is quite unknown and 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 even you know people who are really close and part of the you know the whole AI um you know platforms it's still unknown and I guess you know that's probably one of the areas why so many people who don't really understand AI feel you know, a little overwhelmed by actually what AI can or can't do. I think it's quite interesting and, and you know, maybe, you know, one of the key things maybe for, um, you know, our industry and the funds industry is, you know, especially if AI comes into the industry, how how can we understand how that decision making has been made by AI? You know, say for instance, you know, why, why was that particular um, path taken? And actually, we, we can't get that their feedback from AI at the moment because, it's not quite there, you know, the, the impact of a decision, you know, why did you decide that and not something yeah. else? Because they're not human, I guess. Yeah, well, the more knowledge you have of the data set, the um, greater your understanding of um, the decision-making process is likely to be. So the inputs 
yeah, really, really. If you can understand the, the outputs, you input, sorry, you can understand the outputs better. But again, you'll never have like total insight into it, um, particularly because these um, models are self-learning. Yeah. So they start developing kind of new connections or new um, understanding that is very, very hard to decipher. And that itself is is incredible, right? Yeah. You know, this, this, this ability to learn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And also the way it learns, the way it learns is totally different to how, I mean, in some ways it's similar. It learns through neural networks, which are very representative of how the human brain works. But um, it, every, it, it's pure statistics, like everything is done through computation. So <laughs> there's this really funny thing where like when you're talking to chat GP, it feels really human and it feels like it can understand you. But ironically, large language model, large language models can't actually understand language. They can't process language. So all that language has to be converted into numerical data first. And um, when it responds to you, what it's done is it's basically assigned, I'm actually okay, I have to think how to explain this. <laughs> it, um, time. This is, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of, um, it'll convert all the words into something called tokens, which are like clusters of characters. And sometimes they correlate with words, and sometimes they don't. And each one has a numerical value. And then the model will work out um, what token in its entire repertoire of tokens um, should most likely follow the final token in your string. Um, and it's like statistically informed guesswork and it's all mathematics and it has no true understanding of grammar it's just probability like they're looking at all the data it's ever absorbed and they're saying like what's the most common word to follow these string of tokens um and then that's the word that it'll produce next or at least that's the model that ChatGPT uses i don't know if that was explained very clearly um but i think it's like an interesting detail to kind of emphasize that these things like really don't function like a, a human mind yeah no i think that I think that makes sense. And as much as it's not actually learnt, you know, like, so when we learn a different language, you learn the language that you, you learn at school, you know, the textbook language, and then you learn actually how people speak it, you know, yeah. on the, on the, on the streets and, you know, the slang. Um, and actually, I think that's, that's, it's really quite easy to understand. Well, yeah, no, the computer cannot do that. It, it's yeah. purely about not necessarily algorithms, but certainly sequencing and understanding the data. Yeah. Putting you know the formula together and it's also why it sometimes comes out with kind of like beautifully bizarre stuff yeah. so who i can't remember where i saw it if it was like online or a friend told me recently that they were speaking to an ai chatbot and it was about something quite formal and the chatbot was like listen don't worry my beautiful soul <laughs> which like you know a human would never say but somehow it's um kind of what its wires have gotten a bit cro crossed and it's predicted that that should be the most rational response and yeah. it's you know very clearly not so the kind of like context is sometimes a bit funny with AI yeah and but quite understandable because actually it is that's a much a, a human part of of conversation and communication that you you know you you feel what's going on and you react in that way I I, I think anyway you know yeah that's why we're quite empathetic when we're communicating um so with regards to that and and you know that kind of creativity with you know the, the growth of AI and 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 it's this this learning so do you think the regulation is going to come in and, and play a much um, stronger role within uh, what we're seeing um, just to kind of not necessarily to control, but 
um or it's kind of guide yeah yeah definitely i think like you're seeing that both the eu and the states are very focused on creating regulatory models um and we just had this kind of really fascinating congressional panel where a lot of leading ai experts came and gave their opinions on what regulation they think should be in place to monitor ai and that's um you know really fascinating because it's not often that leaders in tech want regulation yes um but ai is so powerful um and has such incredible capacity both for good and for bad that the people who work around it tend themselves to be pushing for regulation so you have this kind of collective desire to get there which i think is really important and also um you know governments realize how powerful it is but i think the trickiness is is that the models typically evolve faster than any bureaucratic regulatory system can keep up with and also because these models are borderless you need a lot of global collaboration in order to get to a regulatory framework that makes sense and even though we don't know exactly um, how the US or how the EU are going to regulate there's a lot to suggest that they're kind of going down disparate paths and not really setting up synchronized regulation so um, I think there's definitely going to be regulation, but I think there's a lot to be seen about how effective and how coordinated it might be. Yeah, no, of course. And so do you think, you know, in the interim, in the intervening uh, period that maybe there's an element of perhaps developers taking on code of ethics themselves and and perhaps, you know, so they're so close to it and understand, you know, the, like you said, the good and the bad, that actually that there's more of a code of ethics around these things rather than, or have... So in advance of them waiting for that regulation to come in, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the um, community and, um, you know, that includes the experts working on this are like incredibly conscientious. Um, So, um, you know, OpenAI, I think, is withholding, um, you know, it's not actually working on models as advanced as it could be um, in order to kind of protect people from um, more powerful uh, models, but also... There were there was a um, a petition signed by one thousand eight hundred uh, major figures in the industry, including um, Elon Musk, and they called for a pause on the development of models more advanced than ChatGPT four. And um, you know that was done that that call was in the hopes that regulation that would kind of introduce more of a code of ethics would be um, set in place by the time um, development returned. But you also have this kind of um, almost like natural window um this this kind of like natural pause occurring because a lot of the labs that develop ai are waiting for the hardware that they need to um train them so mostly they're waiting on semiconductors and chips and there's like a backlog so there's this kind of natural pause point that everyone can use which is which is good right i mean you know where where we're all trying to catch up and more so um, like, like we just said, you know, with governments and regulation, because I think, you know, it's great. And I think that story of 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 the developers being conscientious, I don't think it's that enough. You know, I think there is yeah. are scare, scare, scare stories. But actually, you know, these people are terribly conscientious and, and really helping us to not only understand AI, but mm, semi-control it a little bit so, but until we're ready. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds. Yeah. And I think um, there was a, kind of widespread recognition that um ai was kind of inevitable and a lot of the um people who went to work for open ai 
did it partly because they had such faith that Sam Altman was going to um, run it and operate it conscientiously. But I mean, that being said, there are major concerns that because um, OpenAA started as a non-for-profit and then effectively became a for-profit and is owned by Microsoft, um, that they're going to be kind of strong-armed into developing with market concerns more at mind rather than kind of the good of humanity so more commercial than moral yes <laughs> <laughs> and i mean the two are famously such bedfellows but <laughs> well and and i think this is that 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 massive juxtaposition isn't it you know that actually it can be incredibly commercial and and you know that probably is i mean we already see the algorithms being used with regards to commercial um uh, endeavors on facebook etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know we've we've seen that with um you know, with politics, et cetera, and, you know, various things like that. and Yeah, and one of the questions that was asked during this congressional hearing uh, that took place the other week was, do um, does AI and do large language models have the power to impact um, election results? And Sam Altman, the OpenAI co-founder, was like, yeah, absolutely, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of concerns around yeah around that and actually who's pulling who's 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 behind whatever ai is being uh, yeah um, pushed out i guess who's behind it and then also like whose version of unbiasedness do you center at the model yeah because there's this big philosophical conundrum with bias so you have many cases where the bias is kind of obvious mm-hmm. um so um you know facial recognition ai um, you know, there was a lot of issues with it kind of not really being able to distinguish between features and smaller ethnicity groups. And it's kind of like very obviously biased. But then you have these kind of like much subtle, but more subtle biases or political biases, which are much harder to define as a bias and who gets to decide what is truth and what is bias. Yeah. It's incredibly interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, the philosophical questions that AI prompts, I think, are also what like really, really fascinates me about it. I think it's it's hugely fascinating and and so relevant, so relevant at the moment, you know, um, and and how people are going to consume AI in the future and and what we need to be aware of in in some capacities as to, you know, what information we're consuming and how we then process information as humans. And I think there's like a lot of people in the industry who get exasperated because there's so much bad press around AI and everyone's like panicking about the risks. And that is frustrating because it's a source for such like incredible astronomical good. And it's a shame that the good has often been overshadowed. But at the same time, it's awareness of the risks and it's concerns about the risks that actually ensure that it ends up being used in the most beneficial way possible. It's like I'm quite like pro um, shouting about the risks because like we kind of as a whole society, I think everyone needs to understand AI and understand the risks so that we can shape it to be like the best version of what it can be. Absolutely. If you haven't got honesty and transparency, how can how can we guide what the future yeah. looks like? Was it like kind of what we were saying earlier, like it's a kind of unique, um, it's unique in the technological product and that it's kind of been released before it's um, really finalized, like it's in this primitive state and there's an invitation to basically monitor where it's going wrong so that we can feed back and have it improved. So I think it's like quite important that we're all really critical and they're like, hey, it produced more nonsense and it doesn't make sense. And <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's that great collaborative um, relationship, isn't it? Yeah. 
And I guess, you know, you know, from that, you know, what what do you think are going to be the biggest um, the biggest challenges for AI in the next five to 10 years? I mean, I think we've touched on a few, but, you know, any any others that you can think in terms of, you know, certainly that that those next steps. Do you mean like the challenges in having AI distributed or like the challenges of, that society will face or? I think maybe, you know, society. I think, you know, we're obviously that that's probably the buzz at the moment. I think in terms of distribution, um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit of both, but I, I, it's probably more on the, the kind of societal side, because I guess that's what most people, when people talk about AI, that that's the thing that I think triggers their uh, initial interest. Yeah. Well, so I think we've sort of like touched on the main one. Mm. So like definitely the one that concerns me most is like disinformation and kind of yeah. post-truth. But I think a really interesting threat that like I don't see discussed very often um, is that AI will make people like less productive and that you're just going to be overwhelmed by so much stuff like you can produce the amount of content that's going to proliferate because you have these machines just spitting it out it's going to be like absolutely vast and we're all going to have to wade through it both professionally but also personally and I think like when the internet came out people thought it was going to make everyone like a million times productive and in some ways it did but it's also like a huge source of distraction and with AI you can have models not only like generating good content but content that is like specifically designed designed to be like your dream content and I think that's going to be very distracting and I think that's like a little bit dystopian for me like I think um there might be a compulsion to spend like less time in the real world and more time around these like very custom designed very alluring pieces of content I think that's incredibly interesting especially as a a mother to a, a young boy who loves gaming, you know, and you can definitely start seeing this more virtual. Um, it's more immersive, like more compelling. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's slightly addictive, dare I say it. Yeah. And I mean, you get all these cases of um, AI chatbots where you have like a, an AI girlfriend, or like an AI boyfriend. And I've been like desperate to try one out to see what it's like <laughs> for ages and haven't got around to it but like what I've heard is that they're like really scarily absorbing because like they've learned kind of um exactly how to um satisfy the needs of the people that they're talking to and um you know you do have these kind of like dystopian visions of everyone like locked inside dating AI chatbots which like I don't think will happen (laughs) but um I don't think it's a possibility that should be like totally dismissed. No, I mean, you know, some of the things that we thought were very far-fetched are, are very much part of our existence now. And I think, you know, certainly going back to Elon Musk, you know, one of our, um, you know, key people signing the AI um, um, register, I think we, we spoke about before, but, you know, the birth rate, the decline in birth rates, you know, he's very, very vocal about things like this as well. And, and I guess there's so many things that AI is, you know, touches upon that you just don't think about in the first instance. You know, you very clearly think, oh, it's it's this. And then suddenly the impact of AI is so much, so much wider. Yeah. And I think maybe on my last question, <laughs> my last question, you'll be relieved. Um, and I guess, you know, just one of those ones again, you, you know, if you had unlimited resources um, and data, what would you build with AI? Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um... Well, so I don't know if this really answers the question, but I can't code. Um, And um, I've always wanted to, and I've never really gotten around to using it. And um, one of the most exciting things about um, AI is that it started to kind of 
generate almost like packets of code which you can use to build applications without being a coder so one of the like things that I've like penciled in to do very soon is like build an app just for fun like just to see how it goes um and that's like a whole new capability that's been like opened up for me like through AI um that like would never have been possible before and I don't even know what this app is going to be or if it'll be any good um but like it's but just something can. but I can <laughs> and that's like really exciting so it's yeah. not as like high scale or as ambitious um but I think some of the areas that I um am most excited about I think AI like offers the um the most like powerful good is really like within biomedicine um yeah and you know like looking at medical data um to suggest new treatments in particular um and I think it's one of the industries that's the most high risk because obviously like if it goes wrong with medicine then you know <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty yeah it's pretty bad yeah. um but I think we're gonna also see some amazing progress be made I think that's incredible what a fantastic note to end on yeah thank you so much Kitty I've loved <laughs> thank speaking you. to you thank, thank you. you you've been listening to Emergent backed by Crestbridge our community focuses on supporting private capital executives raising a first or second institutional fund spinning out diversifying away from their core strategy or whose businesses are minority or female owned being a part of Emergent gives you access to experts peers and senior executives to help you build your profile To join Emergent or find out more episodes of our podcast, go to our website, emergentinsight.org. For more information on how Crestbridge supports first-time managers and emerging managers with operational excellence to ensure that they are in the best possible position to meet challenges head-on, visit our website, crestbridge.com.